On February 2nd, 2011, 18-year-old Moises Mraz Espinosa got into a fight with his mother. He put on music by the band King Diamond, grabbed a cord, and strangled her. He then dismembered her body in the shower, cutting her into hundreds of pieces, removing her fingers and toes, putting the pieces into a freezer in the living room, and peeled the skin off of her skull, into which he carved upside-down crosses and carried around in a backpack for the next two days. He then confessed to his cousin what he had done and turned himself into the authorities. Two years later, he was put on trial for murder, and that's where I come in. I'm stand-up comedian Matt Walker, and I was on the jury for the trial. This is the story of the murder of Amelia Espinoza as told by me, juror number eight. Hi there, I'm Matt Walker. With me is my good friend Stephen Glickman. Hey! And this is the Juror Number 8 podcast, episode number two. The two of us host a comedy podcast where we talk about all kinds of fun things and interview celebrities called The Nighttime Show. Yeah, it's really fun. But that's really fun. This is not fun. This is us talking about the time I was a juror on a murder trial yeah. for a gory, disgusting case um, that Stephen has not heard about before. Dude, it's this is a, this is a crazy trial, man. Yeah. So... Where we left off at the last episode was I had just been picked to be on the jury, and then we got into the trial itself. And that's, you know, we showed up on the day, you get in the box, um, you sit in your exact seat. It's not like you can just go sit wherever you want. Like, you have to sit in a specific chair. Yeah. They give you a pad and a pencil so you can take notes, but the notes that you take during this process cannot leave the courthouse. So, like, you can't write down notes and take them home with you. Everything stays there. So, like, at the beginning of the day, like, the bailiff comes out and he's like, hey, juror number eight, here's your stuff or whatever. And that's just sort of how it is. So, like, you come in in the morning. First, they have you go into the back and there's, like, a little jury room, which is where you wind up deliberating later on. And then at a certain time, the bailiff comes out. It's like, hey, everybody's ready. And they have us all come out and uh, sit in our seats. And then that's when they got into the um, opening statement. Oh, and my God. I all, can't believe it. In. I can't even believe that that you went and did this. Like this is amazing. <laughs> well, it's not you don't get to choose. Like as an American, you're not asked to do a lot of things, right? Um but you are asked occasionally to serve on a jury. Mhm. And that's just part of what the deal is. And my fellow jurors, it was interesting cuz uh there were th- two naturalized citizens cuz there was somebody who was born in the Philippines and somebody who was born in Bangladesh. Um, and there was also somebody who's an American who was born in Guam, which is an American territory. But it's so funny. The, there was one guy on the jury that to this day I will always remember because he looked exactly like Grumpy Cat. Oh, wow. Like a human being just looked like Grumpy Cat. The entire, every time I looked at him, I was like, this guy looks like Grumpy Cat. Dude, I think I'd look like Grumpy Cat too <laughs> if I was on a jury like this. I mean, but this was, is what a crazy. It was crazy. Like I, every time I looked at him, I always thinking it was like, no. No, that's all I could think in my head every time I saw this guy. Um, So, okay, so they start the actual trial, and she goes into her opening statement, the district attorney, Hiba Mata, who, by the way, stunningly beautiful, the DA. All right, tell me her name again. Hiba Mata, H-E-B-A. I'm looking her up. It was distracting. She begins the opening statements, and it's like everyone that works oh my god am i I right dude that's not who popped up this is this is who popped up (laughs) who popped oh the picture of the picture of the guy espinoza yeah dude that guy is gnarly man yeah okay that's from his sentencing here in the photo you're looking i'm looking for an actual photo of her but i'm I'm having trouble okay so 
Um, she starts in on the opening statement, and that's where she outlines exactly what she's going to be talking about in the trial. So, like, okay. it's like when you would write an essay in college, and you like, you know, you write your intro paragraph where you're telling people what you're going to be telling them. Uh-huh. That's what the opening statement's like. So they come in, and she's like, "The defendant, Moises Perez Espinosa, was 18 at the time." took place as part of a satanic ritual. We're going to show you evidence that he was a Satanist. We're going to show you evidence that he killed his mother. We're going to show you evidence that he dismembered her body. We're going to show you evidence that uh, he peeled all the skin off, all the parts that he dismembered. Oh We're going to show you evidence that he, had a, that he kept her skull in a backpack. We're going to show you evidence that he carved upside-down crosses, the symbol of Satanists, into her skull. And uh, then we're going to show you proof that he uh, walked into a, a sheriff's office and confessed. Okay, now, hang on a second. <laughs> I've known a few Satanists in, in mm-hmm. my travels throughout yeah. my life. None of them have ever, as far as I know, killed their parents and put their head in a backpack. Yeah. Th- this is not a typical Satanic uh, situation. Well, we'll get into that when we talk about the Satanic stuff. Like, um, uh, is it? Did, was there like, oh, yeah, this is a, this is like a, uh, one of the um, things they I do? am of the belief that the Satan the satanic angle had nothing to do with the crime itself. Okay. I believe that the prosecution used that because it was, it helped their case in terms mm. of presenting it to a jury. It helped them tell a jury like, hey, this person killed his parents because he's a Satanist. And I think that was something they felt would help their case. But I don't think that had anything to do with him actually doing it. Wow. Okay. So they come out, they give their opening statement like that, right? And they basically say all this stuff up front where up until this point, all we knew is that this was a murder trial and that there was a man named Moises Morez Espinoza who was on trial, and that the victim was named Amelia Morez Espinoza. That's all we knew, like, right? How, how did you feel when you found out that this is what you Well, were when about? you hear that, it's, it's shocking to hear that this is what you're going to find all the evidence on, where you're like, oh, wow, this was like a human being. And she showed photos of Amelia Espinoza. Like, it opened up, there was like a projector, and it opened up on like a picture of her. And she's like, this is Amelia Espinoza. She was murdered by her son, Moises Morez Espinoza, and you're like, oh, wow, okay. That's, um, you know, not something that you thought. Like, you, I didn't wake up that morning thinking, like, oh, I'm going to go down here and I'm going to find out all about a guy who chopped up a body. Like, I didn't know that's what it was going to be. Oh, my God. Yeah, so we go in and you're sort of shocked at that. And, you know, we can take notes during this process, but they give you, like, a notepad and a pencil, but you have to leave it there in the courthouse the whole time. Like, it can't leave the courthouse. And you can't discuss anything with your fellow jurors. And you couldn't take it home at the end. Can't take it home, no. That's too bad. They they destroy it at the end of the process, I believe, um, the notes that we took. There weren't a lot of notes that I had to take anyways. Uh, I think part of that is because I have a good memory. And part of it is just, like, some of the stuff they're saying is just, therefore effect almost like when they're presenting a case you know do you really need to know that it was 100 pieces they chopped the body into versus 50 pieces at that point it it doesn't really matter you know what i mean like it's it's sort of all you know just part of the process you know we dismembered the body that's all you really need to know so didn't have to write down details like that so we go in there and she starts presenting that and then the defense attorney comes up and he starts presenting his case and i remember the defense attorney I don't know if it was this day or the next day, but uh, at one point, so the attorneys, they're all in suits, right? So she's in a business suit. He's in a regular suit. And I think it was the next day when this happened, but he came in one day and he didn't have a suit jacket on because he had a cast on his wrist and his hand, the defense attorney. And the judge was not happy (laughs) because this is a no-nonsense judge, remember, right? So to him, he was like, like, he didn't 
make it like he he was very fair like he didn't prejudice in any way against the defense attorney but he was very direct when he said uh the defense attorney will have a jacket that is tailored to fit over his cast tomorrow won't you and i was like yes yes i will your honor like it was like a thing where you could tell that this guy came in because he was in an accident the night before something happened where he he broke his hand he needed a cast on and the guy was like oh you're not going to be in my courtroom without a jacket. Like, it's like a thing. And I'm sitting here in like a track jacket and a t-shirt thinking, oh, do I need to wear nicer shoes tomorrow? Like, you know, like that's what you're thinking of. Like, you know, you don't want to disrespect this judge because this judge does not mess around. Right? Wow. So we're going through the process and the defense comes up and they give their opening statement, which is basically, you're going to hear a lot of salacious details. You're going to see a lot of photos that are disturbing. You're going to hear a lot of things. My client uh, is not guilty. Basically is what he's saying. Like, he's like, I'm going to prove to you that my client is not guilty. Like they, you know, prosecution comes in, says we're going to prove to you this guy's guilty. And he did this defense comes out and they say, we're going to prove that he didn't do it. Right. So you're like, okay, fine. Uh, Or more than I think he would say, we're going to prove that uh, we're going to show that the prosecution is unable to prove that he did this. It's really the the defense that they took. Okay. They say like they say they're going to prove it. I say they're not going to prove it. Right. And they get started, and they start calling witnesses at that time. So we saw the first witness or two on that day, and the first witness that they call up that I remember was uh, his cousin. And apparently, what had happened was, uh, according to her, she got a call from her cousin um, Moises, and he had her come pick him up in her truck, and he gets in their truck. They go to eat, and she says, like, something's wrong. Like, she knew that something was amiss, uh, and she knew that he'd had some issues because earlier, this was in February when this had happened, but in December, so just a couple months before that, his girlfriend died in a car accident, and he'd been having a hard time with that. Um, and she thought that that might be why he was on edge, um, and then he was having some issues because of that. So they go eat. And then they're talking and he's sort of like dropping hints that something bad had happened. And she's like, well, what, what's going on? What, what had happened? And then finally he's like, uh, I, I killed my mom. And she was like, what? Uh, And he's like, no, no, this happened. And she thought, I don't think she believed it at first when he first told her. And then finally she took him to the sheriff's office and they went to, I believe, uh, the Maywood sheriff's office and they walked in and he talked to the front desk and was like i killed my mom and then they you know started the whole process there so how is he then even possibly saying that he's not guilty when he killed his okay. mom when he already admitted that he killed her uh so is it is it because so now they're trying to prove that it's not murder that it was he went crazy or well at that, this point we don't know anything because we're just listening to the prosecution's case okay, at this point okay, right yeah so yeah. where i'm at thinking at this time is like Okay, this guy now has confessed to his cousin, and he confessed to the front desk personnel. And then uh, later on, there was another detective that came up, who's the one who interviewed him, and he talked about how he confessed to him as well. And he's the one who like went to the scene and stuff. And one thing I remember is that uh, in media reports after the fact, like I didn't know at the time because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch the news to hear anything about the trial. I don't, I don't remember hearing about the trial ahead of time. Like, that's one of the things they asked in the jury selection is, like, do you know anything about this case? And I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Um, but a thing that I've looked at in news reports since then is there's a quote from Brian Elias of the coroner's office who said, the body does appear to have been dismembered to some extent. And I'll say, to some extent, 
after seeing photos later on, which we'll talk about, oh, God. Uh, some extent, it was a hell of an extent, is what I would say. Like, it was extreme. Whoa. Um, but, you know, I, I guess when they're having these cases and stuff, like, they are very careful when they deal with the media to not say a lot of stuff and give a lot of details out because they know... Like in two years, we're going to have a trial and we need to have 12 people who have not heard the details of this. So they can't make it too ubiquitous or then it's going to cause problems with them actually seating a jury down the road. And because the way our legal system works, you know, you have the right to be judged by a jury of your peers or or to be heard by a jury of your peers. We're going to decide guilt and innocence. You know, that's just part of the process is like, you know, you have the right to have a defense, even if you've confessed to someone and that might be part of the evidence against you, that doesn't necessarily mean that you did it. So this guy committed this crime and then two years later he was tried for it? Yeah, and he got locked up pretty much right away. It's just that process takes that long to get to where there's a trial. He was probably arraigned like the next week um, where that's where they have you uh, plead guilty or not guilty. But having the trial itself takes... A couple of years for a case so like he this. he could have just been placed into a regular prison or like a regular jail or whatever. Yeah, he was in prison that whole time. He he yeah. didn't have the kind of money to get out on bail for something like this. Yeah, but if he had the money, could mm-hmm. he have gotten out on bail? Was there bail set, you think? I don't know if there was bail offered for him at the time. I would imagine that he probably would have been eligible based on the rules of, of law. I mean, you remember O.J. Simpson was out walking around yeah. during that whole time, right? Um, well, even so, like for him to be in just a regular prison w- after chopping well, somebody's head off. That's all prisons have people like that in there. It, they, there's no good. What? You ever watch Lock Up on MSNBC? Come on. Those prisons are terrifying. Uh, and that's, you I, know, I don't know if he was in county jail awaiting trial. I don't know how that works, but he was locked up. I'm not going to jail. And not in a place that any of us would ever want to be, obviously. No. Man, fuck this. <laughs> you know don't don't kill your mother don't no, do it I, yeah, my, I, your I mother's love, lovely I'm, i love my mom yeah this is a hor- this is horrible Hor- horrible story this right is a I horrible told you. story yeah. so they give the opening statements and they we have the first first witness comes up she tells her story about that and then we sort of start to we start to learn a little more of the details right yeah all right and we're going to take a break now but we're going to come back next episode and talk about the detective that came and started showing us photographs of the crime scene and what I saw uh, on the next episode. Oh, dude, Matt, this is terrifying. Awful, right? It's painting a picture in my mind that I wish <laughs> I could erase. How? Like, it's so scary. How have I never told you this I, in you, five years? In the five years of us of us being- Since around, this happened, yeah. Since this happened, you have never once told me in detail this, uh, this story. Yeah. And now you're telling me and you're telling everybody else. Yeah. But holy crap, man. Yeah. Stay tuned for- I can't believe that this has <laughs> been living in your brain all this time. Oh, yeah, whole time. It explains so much. <laughs> well, <laughs> tune in next week for uh, episode three of the Journal of Podcast. Podcast.